Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have got a great show for you today. French Open has just wrapped up, and we thought we'd do a special episode live to tape from Malibu, California. As the red clay is dusted off and the perennial ryegrass sprouts up, we thought who better to hear from than a familiar voice that we've been missing this clay season. Friend of the show, Brad Gilbert, is here with us courtside at the Malibu Racquet Club. Brad's going to share his insight on what we saw on the clay, what to look forward to on the grass, and how 20 years ago he managed to get an injured Andre Agassi to not only play Roland Garros, but win his first and only French Open title. We're talking clay, grass, and the glory in between. My man, it's so good to see you. We are under a uh, beautiful tree at the Malibu Racquet Club. It's a home game for me, buddy. You came to the Malibu Racquet Club. It's a postcard day out here on the ocean. So the worldwide leader takes the clay off. I, I wish we were, you know, working the clay events, but, I, you know, that's above my pay grade. That's a bay or I get fired up for Wimbledon. How much tennis did you miss this clay court season? I mean, you did not miss much tennis. I didn't miss a day. You didn't I mean, miss a day. <laughs> a, a couple of days you, you texted me, you know, I'm up at 250. First ball, I mean, sleep is overrated in general. 250. But then, then all of a sudden in a major, it's incredibly overrated. No sleep for the people that need to be watching that stuff. You know what? I just do a little extra espresso. Maybe you get yourself a little cat nap in the afternoon. But if important tennis is on, I'm going to be glued to it. And will you ever get bored and just go right down, just to go right back to sleep? If you see something that's, or you try to stay with it. If I'm getting bored yeah. watching tennis, yeah. there's a problem. And what we're seeing just happen over the last fortnight, I mean, heck, just amps you up. Let's get right into this. This is our first set. It's the Off the Court Report. First of all, congratulations. You were inducted into the NorCal Tennis Hall of Fame. Uh, negative. I'm in that already. I was inducted into the Bay Area Sports Hall oh, sorry. of Fame. Who else is in that Hall of Fame? Well, this year was Tara Vandermeer, uh, the women's uh, coach at Stanford, uh, Jason Kidd, myself, Keena Turner. I mean, it, w it was a great night. Andre introduced me. Well, we um, saw a picture. I have a question. Andre wore a black suit with his old school shoes. Was that part of uh, part of the speech, the shoes? No. That's just the way he rocks. That's just the way he rolls. So go on. Uh, yeah, Andre made an incredible 10-minute speech. I mean, he's got a heart of gold. And I, I think it's like one of those awards that you get that, you know, sometimes you as a player, as an athlete, you don't really grow up thinking about accolades afterwards. But I remember seeing the plaques in the airport when I would leave Oakland or San Francisco airport, and I was thinking one day that'd be pretty cool to make the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame. So I'm really thankful, you know, for oh, Bashoff for hey. inviting me to come into their club and really grateful for Andre for making an incredible speech to introduce uh, me. Earned, earned. Congratulations, man. Um, you have had a multiple, you know, outpatient surgeries for your skin cancer. Tell us about that. I mean, that is not an easy thing for you right now. I, I'd like to just say that one constant tough opponent for me, even before I knew he was a tough opponent for me, was the sun. You know, I've always battled the wall. I still play on the wall all the time. That, my son says I don't have a lot of zen, but that's my zen hitting on the wall. 
Um, and obviously pre-18, we didn't know what the heck sunscreen was. But you have very fair skin, right? Uh, I mean, I'm a kind of guy, unfortunately, I burn indoors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I've probably had a zillion things. Unfortunately, I've taken some graphic pictures. And on Tuesday morning, I got another appointment. I got one of my three months. You stand there in your underwear and the guy goes with the light. Yeah, ooh, what's that? What's that? And, you know, you just got to take care of it. If, so if you're in the sun and you're a tennis player, even if you got the most olive skin, I promise you, wear sunscreen. If you're thinking about wearing sunscreen, wear more sunscreen. Wear sunscreen. That's it. <laughs> yeah. but, you, but you have this under control, right? They're just kind of yeah. cutting it out. I mean, and... I've gotten the basils and the squeamish. I mean, I got lots of stitches. I mean, like I said, I, my doc is pretty cool. He's always like, nothing that's going to kill you unless you neglect it. But you, one thing that happened um, was when the Justin Gimmelstab situation laid out, you threw your name into the hat uh, as a candidate to the ATP Council, that, that vacant spot, and then crickets. We never heard a thing about that. You and Tim Mayotte sort of said that you wanted to make your speech. And then I'm we didn't over hear it. But, but what, what happened? What's the story? It's just, it's, what is it, just an inside mean, baseball no, thing? No, I mean, just, you know, we weren't, I, I didn't end up being a final candidate, so it is what it is. Life's full of surprises sometimes, and that was it. Move on. You know, I threw my, you know, name in the hat, probably got it started, you know, and then there was 15 candidates. I didn't make the final list, but, you know, whatever. And, and now we hear it's between Lepenti and Weller Evans. Yeah, good, and good luck and to I them. And I heard that it's deadlocked. Even Steven, what can you tell us about it? This is an insider show. Um, Give us something. Man. I mean, obviously, Nicholas Lepente is from Ecuador. There are now about 18 or 19 guys in the top 100 that are fully Spanish-speaking from South America and Spain. And Weller Evans is somebody that worked for the ATP for 25 years at, you know, as like the head of like player liaison, a great guy. So I think either one of those candidates will do a really good job. Um, and they got their work cut out. You know, it's a crazy system, you know, that there's three player representatives, three tournament representatives, and the CEO usually never, you know, kind of gets involved. So it's a tricky system that they have. We don't even understand yeah. it. Not and even I, close. I, I like, I'd like to think moving along. Just moving along to another set or, or eliminate that set. No, 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 my man, come on. This is our show. Let us, let me, let me get this right here. We're gonna go into our second set. This is our on the court report. First of all, what were your impressions of the women this year at the French Open? I said before the tournament on my ESPN picks, I thought there was easily 15 women that could win the tournament. And I said, I was hoping for somebody 20 and under to be my dark horse. And as it turned out, Anisimova, I mean, what a great tournament she had, Ken. And there was a lot of great young players, a lot of great dramatic matches. Well, Vondrasova I, got to the final and she's 19, my man. Two unseeded teenagers in the semi, one in the final. Um, I picked Burton's before the tournament. Unfortunately, second round gets, has to pull a ripcord. Kiki Burton's, by the way, it seemed like, I, I don't know if we ever got clarity on what happened I don't her. know what happened. I think she, she said she was ill. So. Like a, like a food poisoning came, or something, we so don't know. I thought that 15 women that could win the tournament, and I also thought I bet that we'll be lucky to get one of the top five seeds in the quarters. As it turned out in the quarters, we had one of the top six seeds, and of the 15 that I said that could win the tournament, as well as Ash Barty, 
has played this year. I wouldn't have put her in in that discussion based upon she had never won a match at Roland Garros. How about Conta? You know, I call her the Contador. Same thing, she makes the semis, had it never won a match at Roland Garros. We had two semi-finalists, had never won a match. And you know, Joanna Conta had been absolutely nowhere, and then I think she won Geneva, right? Did she oh, win a tournament a, a week yeah, ago? A, a, until a couple years ago, she couldn't even win a match. So I still think with the women's, um, obviously Osaka stopped the streak of umpteen different winners in a row. But I still feel like there's not that dominant player. I think we can get to Wimbledon, and I'm going to say the same thing that I said at Paris. Maybe, maybe not 15, but maybe at least 10 different winners could win this tournament. And if somebody gets hot, all of a sudden, boom, they can be in the winner's Is circle. Is there anyone that, um, you know, Annie Samova has, you know, in my opinion, Agassi-like ball striking? The way she, the way just that cleanness of ball striking when is and she's tight to that baseline man i think she's got huge potential um when she had she's a nice so win good, man. she's laser focused i saw her in australia and i saw her training with yutaka who used to be the head trainer at img academy for a long time left to go with sharapova for a long time and now was back with the academy and he was working with collins and he was working with Anissa Mova in Australia. And I asked uh, um, him about her and he said, she's special. No matter what I say about the workload, work schedule, she never complains. If anything, I have to curtail her. This girl puts in the work, so I'm not surprised. And I think she's a future number one. I think on the American side, we have a bunch of young ones coming. But I think for the meantime, I, I mean, wouldn't be surprised, uh, you know, this year, easily, four slams, four different winners. Um, but full at, credit to Barty, by the way. Barty, man. Going back to Come Barty, on. full credit to her. She kind of has an old school, new school game. She has a two-handed backhand, but rarely hits a two-handed backhand off the rally. It's mostly one-handed slice, heavy spin, forehands. She kind of plays like a little bit like Steve Johnson. It's a little bit, but oh, you know. I would say that she reminds me more of like a new age Patrick Rafter. No, because she doesn't serve in volley and she doesn't, you know. I feel and, like she, I feel like her volleys are legit. Oh, no, she's great volley. What's amazing is, is, but like, I mean, she's got it might have been one of the shape shortest. Shape on her serve, It might have been one of the shortest finals in the 5-5, five, five, maybe in sneakers versus 5-6. She's got a great serve for 5-5. Five, five, five. She has a very spinny, like, uh, heavy forehand, and she hurts a lot of the women with her forehand, uses the slice. Like I said, it, it, it's almost like an old school game from the 70s, but has more modern a flair to it. And, uh, and somebody that's been through a lot at such a young age, leaving the sport, coming back. Yeah, explain that. that she, so explain that. She quit and went to play cricket? For a couple of years because maybe of the pressure and expectation. She bagged it. And she had done well in doubles, but maybe wasn't enjoying herself. Took a couple of years away at a young age and was able to come back to tennis and re-fall in love with the game. It's a great story. And she's lights out, man. She won the French Open. You know, I think it started in Miami where she yeah. put together a great 10 days there. And I think a win like that, you get your first win at that level, gave her this confidence, but still, she had never won a match. She was over in Paris. Well, you know, I remember last year, 
she was up like a set and a break against Serena. And she started, you hate it when I say the word, so I ain't gonna say it, but she got tight. And she got so tight that she gave it all back. And I was stunned, because I thought she was like, you know, coasting. She was by far the better player on the court and she really lost her nerve. Um, it seems like within the 12 months that that ain't no problem anymore. Like she is on it. She's, she's 23, I think. Yeah, ish. Yeah, she's, but you feel like she's been through so much. She, she was really good at like 15. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, she won, you know, she was a junior Wimbledon winner. You know, you see the picture of her when she was seven already winning titles. Yeah. I mean, um, and then to leave the game at such a young age and then come back and then she didn't have that good a success in singles when she left. It was much more in doubles. But when she's came back, it's much more, you, you know, focus on her singles, even though she still produced good doubles. But I just think it's a great story. And who knows? Maybe there's a lot left of it. I like the way she plays, man. And uh, Vondrasova, uh, an interesting player. She's got a nice little lefty forehand. But, don't you flat think the, but do, can you win in 2019 with that Western over grip? Why not? Just seems like she pancakes the well, forehand the, a little bit. I mean, bit. there's a lot more guys that play with a heavy Western grip and much more spin uh, than the women do. So I think that's the reason why Barty and Vondrasova did so well at the French, because they play with a lot of spin on their forehand, which, you know, I think is modern tennis. The margin as well. Absolutely. They don't miss. But what about um, Martic? She had a nice tournament too. You know, there was a lot of stories, uh, and I just feel like in the men's, there's not the opportunity because of, I mean. Because these cats just keep crushing I mean, the game. Rafa and Joker, both of them have been in the semis or better of the last four slams. So the opportunity w w isn't quite there. Yeah. I mean, we don't have anybody born in the 90s that, that have won a slam, which leads me back to my point. I said 15 women could, could make, you know, being there on Saturday, the, the winner. But I probably would say 50 women had a chance to make the semis. 100%, and then on the men, the first, the top four seeds go through. Yeah, it, it, it's just the, the likelihood of breaking through somebody being ranked 50, like what yeah. Vonner Sova did on the yeah. men's, it just doesn't happen much. I mean, what do you say Rafa loses in Madrid, Uncle Tony, okay, and our man, Mark Lucero, uh, who he's a coach, he coaches Shelby Rogers. He's a friend of ours. He shot me a note. He said, man, you know Uncle Tony is on the next flight to Rome. He's gonna get that team in shape. Rafa's gonna, if Uncle Tony's on the bag, Rafa wins Rome, then Rafa wins the French. Money in the bank, guy was so sharp to it. How important is Uncle Tony to that team, man? Uncle Tony was back on the bag. Okay, I'm not gonna disrespect, you know, Charlie Moya. Charlie Moya is the coach. Uncle Tony came in Rome, but he wasn't there the whole tournament. And I've seen their practice. Charlie Moya is running things. And when he's not, Roy is there. I think that Charlie Uncle Tony Moya, for those of you who may not know, is, is Carlos Moya. Uh, and... Um, Former world number and one. And Fernando Royge is the other and coach. Roy, I think Uncle I heard, Tony. I, but my sources tell me that when Uncle Tony comes in, he sorts everybody out. I, I, but that that's the way it used to be. Uh -huh. I, I'm not going to say that it's still that way, but I think he came in for some moral support and. And right, the, right get, get the. The confidence back, but still 
it's Rafa's the one that's got to execute things. 100%. And, and Carlos is the one that's got to help him with the confidence. But it, a, amazing turnaround. It wasn't like he was losing first or second round. He lost semis Monte Carlo, semis Barcelona, semis Madrid. And then he peaked in Rome and then got even better in Paris. And he, he literally played his best match. Uh, you know, he played his best match in the final. He played so good. I tweeted out this morning. I felt like for home team, he's got to finish off a match over two days beating Djokovic. On Friday, they finish in a bit of rain, unbelievably windy, to only have to come back out Saturday and have to play two and a half intense sets. Your one set all in the third, uh, third set just started. And I felt like, forget about Mount Everest. This is free solo. This is El Capitone. You can't have one yeah, dip in concentration, yeah. concentration on your toes. You can't have one dip in concentration. And then he had man. a little dip in concentration for seven minutes, three zero double break. 26 minutes, the set was over, but man. All it took was seven minutes. You know, something about Mary, seven minute abs, not six minute abs, seven minutes is all it took today. And then Rafa, like a boa constrictor, just squeezed. He did. And then, did. I mean, it was an amazing fortnight for Dominique, but physically and mentally to play two days in a row against Joker and then your door prize to come back on a, you know, probably not the best conditions for him to play Rafa in. Not windy, not as hot, and, and Rafa has a full tank of fuel. I just couldn't get over the running that team was doing. Um, and to be honest, after that, at the end of that second set, I thought Rafa was gonna dip and he did the absolute opposite, right? It was over, he went lights out. It the, was the, unbelievable. The, I mean, the, the, the point differential when that second set ended to the end of the match was like, Rafa won like double the amount of points. Yeah, you, you know what was fascinating? At the end of the second set, going into the 6-5 game, team had won one point on the Rafa serve. He gets four and he wins the set. He dominated the second set on his serve. So going into that last game, the 12th game, I believe it was only five points combined in one on return. But where the dip really happened, I felt like physically was team serve. He was getting the free points in the second set, stopped getting the free points in the third set. Maybe then he's pressing with his legs. We started missing. And, but then when you're missing, then maybe you get free points on your serve that can help things. That didn't happen. And then Rafa just all of a sudden has a great sense of understanding his frailty of an opponent. And the next thing you know, instead of like maybe, you know, 12 to 18 inches from the line, it's kind of like big targets, safer spots. And the next thing you know, points are coming in bunches. Yeah, you know, in boxing they talk about, you know, fighters throwing punches in bunches, punches in bunches. And it's, that's like, that's like a very descriptive way of, like when Rafa puts the heat on, you just, it's like, it's like, you know, forehand cross court pulls you so far off the court, forehand winner. Next point, backhand cross court flat and so, uh, winner, ace, serving volley, deuce, breaks your spirit, done, championship, 12 man. 
He's got a 12 pack, but- 12. Andre was like that a little bit sometimes when he would go hard at you for like 23 minutes, not miss a ball with the intention of breaking your lungs. And Rafa has that great ability to be able to sense when you're a little bit tired, man, you're not getting any free. A couple of times today, what he did, I'm watching, and I even rolled him back. It's a thing of beauty. He's about one of the, the best I've ever seen in my life do this. He drops back, he throws up a good mix of a high looping ball. When he throws up that mix of a high looping ball, most players end up staying back in that position. He loops it up, immediately bolts to the baseline, takes the real estate back, and then if he gets something attractive on the next ball, you're on your bicycle. So I thought he did a great mix of that and then taking the baseline when the opportunity was there. Um, I want to talk about other about the tournament and other uh, okay. places. The Warinka Sitsipas match. The Warinka, uh, sit, uh, I call him Easy Pass, the Stanimal. I mean, you know what, that, that's everything that you, you want to see in a match. Just I felt like I was watching one of the greatest matches there ever was. And, 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 and you know, it's funny as I even saw people, dummies on Twitter and people talking about enough of this warm embrace, how guys are embracing after a tough battle like that. I actually felt like that's one of those things. Man, those dudes just laid it on they the line went to war, for boy. five hours and nine minutes of absolute physical. Then later that night, I see Stan tweet out a picture of him in like some meat locker with gloves on or whatever. And for his door price, he got to go back and play fed. And the guy's 34 years old. He's put in the hard yards and I see. And by the way, Stan, he doesn't look that good in his clothes on the court. Oh, man. Stan was like. He's jacked. He had, he had shirt off on the internet. The guy looked like uh, he could play in the NFL. I know. He looks like he, he'd be like a. Like a monster. A bat. light heavyweight, uh, a 175 boxer. St he, but Stan, don't sleep on Stan Rowinko, man. Stan no. Rowinko, he is unbelievable fit. I thought we had so many tremendous five setters and you saw me numerous times talk about yeah. the greatness of five sets there was a lot on, of good matches man. and i love more than anything the physicality the mental all the nuances that are what separates a slam from every other tournament is every other day you got to find a way to win three sets. Andre says you can get lucky and win two sets. It's like you can get lucky and win an NCAA basketball game. You can't get lucky and win a seven game series. Rafa today, when he won the first set, he's 101 and zero when he wins the first set on best of five. So I, I love, you know, in a best of five, the ebbs and flows. And then sometimes you've got to manage yourself and all the different things that go about at a five setter. It's the greatness of tennis on full display. Um, can you tell us anything interesting quickly about the juniors? Uh, do you know, did you know anything about who won? Who uh, finaled? Well, I, 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 I'm going to text my buddy, uh, I, already, I already did this morning. The first time, I believe, I, I think it might be the first time ever, a Danish boy won. And that, and that, and the kid who won is a Moritoglu Academy yes. player. But the other three were IMG Academy the players, The other right? three boys were IMG, and they were all born in 2003. And one of them, 6'8", lefty, he's only 15, Martin Dam Sr. His son, Martin Dam Jr., 
I think he's got a chance to be a very good player. Martin Dam is a Czech player. Excellent doubles he player. Had a, he, was a double, he was a double specialist. Um, he was on the tour for a lot of years. His son is who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and they, he's been a coach and lived it at uh, Bradenton for a long time. And he's done a great job with his son. And I think he's going to be an outstanding pro. I think he's got top 10 potential. And the girl that won, the Canadian girl, I believe, got to the finals of the Aussie and then wins uh, Paris. So um, Canada um, has a, Canada, people are bullish on Canada. Yeah, well, and the American boys have been doing great at the last about 10 slams. One of these days, one of our young guys is gonna make a breakthrough, hopefully, you know, in, in the big tournament. It was a struggle for our men in the, in the main draw. Yeah, I'm not a, I love tennis because of the Cosmo, because, because I don't care where the, I don't, I don't, I'm not jingoistic about it. If I like a player, I don't care what country they're from. If I, uh, it doesn't matter to me, but it was something special to see every single man lose in like five minutes uh, at the French Open. Um, that's the first time they all went out like that since 2007 is what I they understand. Were, they were an 0 for that year. We were unfortunately like <laughs> one for 10. But hopefully the grass will be better. Taylor Fritz actually put in the hard yards throughout the I whole I like that clay. Taylor Fritz played on red clay, man. Yeah, the entire season. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully we'll have a carryover um, to the grass. Um, but I do think to becoming a great player, and I'm a stickler for this, I think the two clay. best surfaces to play on are indoors and on clay. That's why the Europeans are dominating the game. The two surfaces they play on, indoors, you got that fast contrast, and then when the weather's good, you play on red clay. Because when you play on red clay, it builds, it teaches you how to build a point. You have to learn to move. There's so many different things that the game teaches you for you. But I think it is absolutely crucial for young American boys to learn to play on red clay. If you're going to be a champion, you've got to play and learn on clay. Uh, do you have any interesting opinions regarding the scheduling, the, the way they, they dealt with the weather, the way Joker felt like he sort of pushed that 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 delay. Everyone was up in arms on the internet. Well, the scheduling committee obviously had their work cut out for them. The, the, you know, I don't know why one of the women's semifinals didn't play on Lang the Long. center. You know, on, on the center, center court. Lang but but that's, it's a tough call. You got Rafa and Fed that was moved up from three to. 10.50, they want to play the two women's matches at 10.50 to give themselves 24 hours so they have a faster recovery time. So, that, I mean, I don't know how you're bumping Fed and Rafa off the center court when you're starting three matches at 10.50. And there was no way they're going to play a Monday final unless there was rain on Sunday. But the first day on that Friday was a bad day. The weather no, was bad. Listen, there was nobody in the Andre, stands. When he, Andre, when he played the final in 99, had to finish off on Saturday. It's happened a lot. It's the only tournament. They've got no night play. They've got no roof. So they, ha I mean, remember just a few years ago, the guys had to play four matches but in five days. But they play till 9.30 at night, I know, man. But It's cool that there's no lights, don't you think? No, it's, it's time to get some lights no, and stop man. at 7.30 and it. have the a night sun, schedule. I love it, man. But, but I, I do think that the tournament always wants to play a Sunday final. And 
Parish, you have to deal with some tricky things that you don't have at the other majors. One meaning they don't have a roof. Hopefully that's gonna be in the works because they do need a roof. Tennis loses when, they, when it rains and they don't have tennis. Uh, very quick, shot clock. I love the shot clock. You know how long I've been a fan of the shot clock. And Hawkeye on clay is a must. Yesterday, what a shocker that, that Djokovic circles the mark, the umpire comes out and says it's in. Hawkeye shows it's a full out, inch out, and then, you know, it was a joke. No, but that was a big point. Yeah. That and was a big point, man. It got him down 1-4, yeah. break point in the fifth. Point. It's a joke he missed that. And then, you know, it's even more comical. I've been saying this for 15 years. Why is there not Hawkeye for incidentals? All of a sudden, there's a clear double bounce. Umpire says that that team got not the up. ball. Not and up. you see it, it's clearly a double bounce. At all times, the umpire should have an ump, uh, he should have a TV monitor. He can look at replays just in case I miss something. Run it back. 1,000. We have the technology. It's not like football and basketball back. takes him two he minutes. He could have all the T, he could have all the cameras all one spot. You Run know what? Back. He was he was trending on a red card there. Two egregious mistakes. What do you think uh, moving into the grass courts? Um, I mean, Ash Barty. You got to think that just on adrenaline alone, she's going to be right there. Well, and the way she plays, man. So much better now for the players having the extra week. So there's a real opportunity. Most players will get in at least one tournament. Rafa and Joker probably obviously won't play a tournament. Um, Joker, Joker won't play one tournament. He, he played Queens last year. I'd be surprised if he does. Rafa's already said he's not playing a tournament. But I do think Rafa that all the, top, all the top females always play, if not a couple of tournaments. I'm going to be really interested. I, I heard something last year that they were working on, on the soccer pitches to stop the brown that, the, you know, when you see at the end of the tournament, where the, behind the court, it almost looks like dirt. They were talking about using 7% of this synthetic grass where they could really kind of stop that, you know, dirt and patch area to where you would have more grass on the court. I don't know. More green on the court. Don't say grass. <laughs> it's synthetic, man. Well, no, because it's only, but right. it's only a small the percentage. Patch, you talk about the dirt. Yeah, we'll help the natural grass with the synthetic grass stay together so we don't have as much dirt and brown on the court. But, I mean, last year was the greatest weather I've seen in 35 straight years coming to Wimbledon. If we could have that kind of weather again, I think when you have the warm weather, you get the much higher bounce, and I think that, that you see a better brand of tennis. When it's cool, damp, rainy, the ball stays a lot lower, it's harder to return. Um, maybe one of the best matches I've ever seen uh, last year's semi was was Rafa and Joker. I mean, the level of that the match level, and the intensity as because of the weather. Uh, and, and listen, fingers crossed, we can get something like that again. But in the men's, these guys, the top guys are dominating. I'm gonna say that there will be probably another surprise winner on the women's side at Wimbledon. That would be my bet. Um. You know, you and I were texting the other day, and and um, we were talking about Zverev. You know, he was struggling, and he, again, you reprimanded me, but I said um, that he was getting real, real tight. He got the yips in that match. And you said he just doesn't take the chances that Ojer Aliasami or Tsitsipas takes. 
that he plays to, uh, he just doesn't play with the abandon that you need to win those big matches. Um, but I thought that he was lined up to really start making some money moves. Well, he came into Geneva the week before Paris having a terrible year, 15 and 10. And he dumped and then, his agent yeah, and all these things. I don't care about any of that stuff, but he came into the quarterfinal winning nine straight matches. He had his mojo back a little bit. And the thing that from, I'll just say from the coach and me and the eyes and a commentator watching, when I'm seeing Zverev play in some of these big matches, he's not playing fearless. Um, in London last year, I saw him play fearless, serving in the low 140s. When he beat Djokovic and he beat Isner, he was out serving Isner. Never seen a guy serve so big that doesn't normally serve that big. Where has that been? And so, and then That's also- That's how I felt that the, we, we saw him win the end of the year championships, the Masters, the ATP finals. And he was playing fearless. And he was serving 140, man. Consistently. And he was playing sick. And the forehand. And I thought I said to everybody, I thought he, I he thought, ain't ever losing nothing again. I thought that guy, yeah. if he played the way he did in London, was I playing know. this year, would have made his move. But he hasn't played like that. And I he think that, like that. that he kind of plays with, you know, everybody is anointing him. And and maybe he doesn't what? is anointing him that he was going to be anointing that anointing him yeah and maybe he feels the pressure I don't know yeah. but I just know that the two shots that should be better in the or his serve and especially the forehand because he he seems to in some of these matches get a little bit spinny and exclusively cross I'd like to see him flatten that forehand out rip it and. Listen, before he played Djokovic in Paris, pop in that tape of the, of the guy in London that was serving in the low... Pop that tape in. Yeah, because I think if he, tape if he plays like that, yeah. he can, you know, do damage. And but, what's the story? Lendl doesn't show up no more? He it, didn't come there? He's coming to the grass, apparently. Is that a fact? I, 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 are your that, sources telling you that? You my, sources, no, my sources say that he's supposed to be at the grass. I, I don't know why he wasn't at Paris, but he must have had a good reason. Ivan is a heck of a, you know, listen, the guy, you know, when he's doing something, he's just got his heart and soul in it. If he, he couldn't be there, there must have been a reason. Let's move into our a third set. This is this part of the show where we talk about your career. I'm Why do gonna, we gotta go to my career? Uh, well, I want to. Well, this, we never really quite talked about your coaching career. And 20 years and three days ago, from my math, to the day, you and Andre won the French Open. Uh, you were in the box. Um, what's the most memorable? When you, if you close your eyes for a second, and you just kind of think back, what is the thing that pops into your mind from that moment? It's funny, is on the day, I think it was June 7th that he won, uh, 20 years to the day, I, I talked to Andre on the phone for about 45 minutes. We were going over matches. Um, and the amazing four different times during the tournament, he climbed off the red brick. But I think my most vivid two memories, first on a plane back from Dusseldorf, um, Andre had hurt his shoulder and he says, I'm toast pull me out of Paris, pull me out of Wimbledon, we're not playing again till Washington. And I'm like, bullshit, that's not happening. He's, nope, I'm out. 
He, he, had a, he had like a couple of vodka OJs. He took an Ambien, I'm going to sleep. And for like seven hours, I don't let him go to sleep. I hammer away at him and say, we're going to San Francisco. We're gonna get treatment. I said, 20 years from now, you don't want to look back on your resume. 99 French did not play. And it's not did not play coach's decision. It's did not play Andre Agassi. And I said, you know what? You just if, stayed in his ear. If you go, you never know the magic would happen. We don't literally get to Paris until the day before the tournament. He doesn't hit a ball for five days. He gets treatment from Lenny Stein. We get back there. He's got a brutal draw. He plays Squillari, who's a rough dirt baller, who I, I believe either the next year or two years later got to the semis of the French. He's up on Andre, 6-3-3-1. I'm telling you a story. He goes, I was, you're right, I forgot I was down a break in the set. So he's down 6-3-3-1. He's in my corner. We're on the stadium. I'm in the same seat I was in the final. He says, we came back for this shit? And I'm like, I said, come on, dude, come on. And then, <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. And then, and then he, he wins a grueling second, wins a third set, 7-5. This guy, Scolari, is considered to be one of the fittest guys on tour. Dude's dead man walking, cramping into fourth. So, so that memory. And did Andre play? Because I remember the tournament, and I just, I, I remember some moments, but it was his level... It wasn't good tennis, right? Um, it was really freaking good oh, it from 6-3-3-1 oh, down. He picked it up. Yeah. And then how about second round against Arnie Clement? He's serving 4-5, love 30. And then there's a shot from Clement. All of a sudden, I'm thinking it's about to be love 40, triple match point down, overall, check the mark, out. And then he goes on to hold. They get into a four-set breaker. Clement starts cramping, tries to get an injury timeout, and his trainer from the stands comes down. It was crazy. And he toughed him out. It was just, and then Moya had him 6-4, 4-1, double break. And then two sets in the final. But I remember against Moya, I remember it being like heavy, yucky. It was, it was like a, it was a slog. I felt like in that match at 6-4-4-1, you know how sometimes you have a really good vibe? He's the defending champion. I felt like maybe our good mojo in the first round and the second round, maybe we, we used it up. And I, I remember just kind of yelling at him, come on, keep, just keep fighting, keep, you know, just keep working. And then just somehow slowly worked his way and he won a tough second set. And then it was like a couple of times during the tournament when he did that, it was like he flipped the script and the crowd got massively behind Andre. I felt like the crowd massively lifted him. And then I think Moya was a little bit shocked that from 6441 that Andre's level picked up so quickly. Um, and then and after he could, that, and by the way, he could do that, huh? Like he, he could start that, ball striking. I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to think it. I remember telling Gilly that Gil like, Reyes, uh, Andre's trainer, friend, confidant, security, who was trainer. With us. That everything. was all. It was just a two-man team for that French Open. It was me and Gil. I, I said, you know what? Just the way the draw and things are working out. This is Andre's tournament, you know, to lose. You whispered it to him. Yeah, this is Andre's tournament to lose. You know, this is you know. So after Moya, who did you go through into then? In the then it was then it was a, a thing of beauty. It was like one of those you know gifted draws in the quarters. Filippini, 
and he just takes Filipini to the woodshed. We go that night at Bear City to the Springsteen concert. We walk in, 15,000 people started chanting Andre's name. And then Springsteen, you know, even said something about Andre. I was goosebumps. And then her body in the semis. Dominic Rabati. Up two sets to one. We stop at one all in the fourth on rain delay. We go out for a late dinner. Andre's completely disheveled. Where'd you go? Um, you go to the same restaurant every night or you go to a different? You know, they kept... Um, they kept the, the spot open for you yeah, guys. Yeah, no, this, the Italian place open. I'll think of it, uh, Stresa. They kept Stresa open Stresa. late. Andre's completely disheveled. That's you, that's you guys' go-to yeah. spot? Except closed on the weekends. Closed on the weekends. Not for after he won the tournament. They had a special party for him there. Hold on, go uh, on. Uh, Stresa. So, so, you, so he's Andre's disheveled. Sh- he's disheveled because of conditions got heavy. He was just beside himself about the way the match ended. One all in the fourth. He felt like it was slipping away. And all I said, I remember drinking a few beers. I'm relaxed. Andre, you come hard. You come fast. It takes 28 minutes on the dot tomorrow to take care of business, was my speech. And Gil's looking at me, okay, next day. 6-4, 28 minutes on the dot. Andre looks at me like, how the hell did you know that shit? Sometimes simplicity is his best. So it was like 28 minutes. It's, I feel like you were like from the, I feel like from the second Dusseldorf happened and he was ready to shut it down, like you really had to use some Jedi mind tricks to work him through this thing. I mean, this, just listen to the story. And we've done this before. We, we, we you know, we have, we've had this conversation before. It's been years, but this story gets me fired up, man. It's like you really needed to work. You really uh, were working. So and You then, weren't just sitting there I, getting the racket strung, man. Yeah, and then the night before the final, he's playing Medvedev. Guy has come into the tournament on a seven-match losing streak, only at Monte Carlo. Andre talked the guy off the ledge. He was thinking about quitting tennis. And Andre, you know, gave him a lot of words of wisdom. They saw each other before the first day of the tournament. And Andre told him, dude, just keep working hard. You know, things are going to turn around for you. Now he's playing a guy ranked 100 in the final. And, and Andre gave him a pep talk to he, give him, to get the guy inspired through. Him to, he inspired him through. <laughs> and then Andre goes out. And, and plays this final. First of all, the conditions this is, were wicked heavy. Yeah, but this is a tournament he should have won in 90 and 91. Now he's back in the final in 99, never thinking he's going to win this tournament, playing a guy who's literally came in with no form. Now he's a heavy favorite. Andre's an absolute shadow of himself. He's a ghost. He, Medvedev is playing really well, and Andre just, he just mentally, He's shot. He it's, was like the, it's, out. it's like the 13 days evaporated his ability to just fight. And, and even Gil says to me, What's up? What's happening? And I was like, Man, I just, it's just energy and belief is gone. We need a rain and delay. It, so he's down two sets in like 51 minutes. It's one all in the fourth. Crowd is dead. We've been out there maybe 57 minutes. There's one freaking decent cloud over our head, and it starts to like come down a little bit. Medvedev literally is just kind of going to his chair, and I'm looking at Andre go like this, 
and Andre just literally takes his bag and forces his way in the locker room. Muscles into the locker yeah. room. And it's not uh, until I sprint from my chair to get down to the locker room. It, the, let me tell you, a Sunday of a major slam final is not like the first day. There's nobody in there, man. Yeah. It's wide open. So everyone's Andre, gone. Andre slumped over his chair. We've got these old wooden lockers. His locker is open. Medvedev's on the other side. You know, referee kind of comes in. I don't know how long I'm going to have. I just ask Andre briefly, you know, what's up? He looks me straight in the eye and he says, he's too good for me. He's just too good for me. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, I just can't beat him. And I've never had a confrontation with Andre. I'm not a yeller, I'm not a screamer. And I don't, I'm not like some coach that has some, you know, premeditated thought what I'm gonna say, you just react. And I don't know why I reacted this way. And I basically said, the last 13 Andre, days. Andre, hold on, Andre said you were smashing the locker with your hand. Said you were smashing it and giving the speech, and so, you, then you, no, you lit I kind of know. I was holding the locker, and I told him, I said, "Dude, the last 13 days, you've played your ass off. Get back out on that court, guns blazing, and give it everything you got." And right then, the referee is already Andre. Get back to the court. We've only had like 45 seconds. I've got my hand on the locker. I literally take it and just swing it as hard as I can, and literally it snaps off, it's hanging on a hinge, it's hanging over Andre's head. He kind of looks at me, all right, picks up his bag, and just goes back out on the court. You, you broke the locker. I broke the locker. You broke and, the locker. And then Gil taps me on the leg as we go back, and he goes, you woke him up. He, we go back on court from one all to four all. He's hanging on. And I'll remember a shot and a moment that like was like that. But also, also the weather changed. The weather got warm. It went from gray and dreary to about 15 degrees warmer, court playing quicker. The when sun it, came out, man. It was bizarre. Four all, break point. Andre's five points from losing. You know, you're still not feeling great. He hasn't broken Benvedev all match. Andre all of a sudden hits a ball and kind of wanders forward. And one of those moments how you're sitting there, no, 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 no. He digs out a shoestring volley off the backhand volley from his ankles and hits a laser. He almost shot me a look like, can you believe that I just freaking hit that shot? And I've never seen a moment where a guy thought I was gonna win the match, kind of taken from him. Andre then holds, he races over to his chair. That's when he runs to the chair. And then gets his first break of the match. And then match on. Everything changed. And then I've never heard a French crowd get so behind American. Um, it was one of the greatest feelings that I've ever seen, you know, whether or not I was on the court or in the stands, and Andre rode that momentum. And then the next thing you know, that guy that had been coming off the canvas and off the red brick, he started hitting darts all over the place. He's got Medvedev on his back heels. And then 5-3 in the fifth set, Andre must have had five match points. 
doesn't convert him. He's now got to serve for the match at 5-4 after all these for mismatched points. Medvedev saved a bunch of match points and held. And then, you know, I just remember, come on, just keep fighting. But I felt like I you were know. yelling, serve the forehand. Yeah, and you were, you went, but Medvedev's forehand got tight. I, I've been, you know, listen. His forehand I, is his weaker shot. Andre heard me say a million times, go to the well until they can prove you wrong. Serve the forehand. And he so saw match forehand point, four times, I he think. serves to the forehand literally before he even swings the racket. I'm standing up. Andre's turning around. He goes, Free. and then he said afterwards, damn, you were already standing up before I knew. And I knew you were thinking, go to the well until they can prove you wrong. It was one of the great moments that, like, we locked our eyes because we knew. Served the forehand right there, served match the, over. But he served the forehand, I think, four times in a row. He did. He did. 100% he did. One, two, three, three four. four. Bang. Championship. It was a thing of beauty. Execute a game plan under pressure. Um, and what did you guys do? And then you guys just, were you just do press all day? And, and no, yeah. and then we ended up going that night. We had a little small party at Stresa. Who was there? Um, and it was very small. Um, and one of the great memories of, of a night, me, Andre, and Gil ended up just kind of taking a step back. Nastasi and Vilas, I don't know why they were there. They came. John McEnroe was there. And that, um, Barami. Mansoor Barami. Yeah, and, and the people from the restaurant. And one of the funniest things we've ever seen, Mac and Nastasi started getting into it about their 79 US Open match. It was just, it was memorable just seeing these guys. And it's like, you know, Look at this, this is 20 years on, so from 79 to 99, and these guys are still arguing over that match from the US Open. By the way, five number ones, right in that room, <laughs> right? McEnroe, Nastasi, Vilas was number one in the and world. And you know who else was there? Hold on. Vlander. Uh, one in the world. Andre, that's an incredible group. And then, We only needed Steph to be there, it would have been full. And then, and then, and then, but, but, but then, and then a year later, he's married to Steffi Graf. Yeah, it just, that tournament, I felt like the entire kind of run to, to have it happen. Sometimes you don't know why something is supposed to happen, but you know that you must drive to make it happen. And I, I feel like that, that was the impetus of Andre's second life. And he told me that night, when I went into the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame, he said that saved his life, that gave him purpose to do all the things that he's doing with the schools and the Kids Foundation and, and to work harder, to be a better player. No, it was definitely you guys' moment. But now, you did you guys go back to the States or did you stay in Europe and go right to, right to Wimbledon? Because, uh, no, because you know what we is, did? Yeah. For one second, we went to Halle. And Andre's like, Halle yeah, because he, he was supposed to play the grass and he's like, what the hell are we doing here? And then we went back to the States for a couple of, uh, for a couple of minutes. Uh, my, uh, Kim and the kids all met. We met at Fisher, and we were there a couple of days. Fisher like, Island off of Miami to and, get ready because there's grass yeah, courts and there. It, and, and then he's like, what the hell are we doing here? Let's get back you know, to Wimbledon. And then um, it started, that started Andre going 27 and one in four slams. So he won the French, lost to Pete, still bitter about losing that. Before you, know. you, before, you, before you go through it, um, that Wimbledon though, you guys were running on all cylinders. 
Andre came into that final. I, I mean, I just thought. But you guys won another six straight matches yeah, after you and, won and he seven. Was he was dominating. He, he was, was absolutely well. amazing. Yeah. Then, you know, he has three all, love 40 on Pete's serve in the first set. Second serve, he hit like three second serve aces, a, a service winner, and the next thing you know, he holds from love 40. Andre had something like 92, holds in a row, gets broken, Pete holds, and I was like, what the hell just happened in seven minutes? Pete had that ability, that just, Pete he just kind of yeah. took his game to another level. Um, but amazingly, that disappointment, I mean, both, and how, how crazy is it? Andre and Steph both won the French, and then both lost on that same day, July 4th. Um, she lost to Davenport. He, he lost to Sampras. She retired. And then by the you know, middle of summer, they, they were together. It was just yeah. thing of beauty. And then that, you know, then Andre goes on to win the Open and the Aussies. So during that 28 matches, Andre went 27 and one in those four slams. What's the moral of the story? Um, don't let a guy go to sleep when he tells you not to, we're not going to frickin' Paris or Wimbledon, especially if he's had an ambient and two screwdrivers. I'm like, dude, you're going. Moving into our fourth set. This is our 10 ball scramble. We do not do a deep dive. You ready? Last concert you saw. Last October. What a great show in San Francisco. The Metallica charity for homeless. So I saw Cage the Elephant and Metallica, an acoustic show. What an amazing show. Cage the Elephant, let me tell you, the lead singer. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a high-energy guy. He, he's got a lot of Mick Jagger in him. He's got a I've high... seen them like three times. Yeah, great show. He's a high-energy guy. I love to go to good, good shows. Last movie you saw? Free Solo. You saw that? Epic. I saw it five times. I mean, it's like, that's the best movie I've seen since Whiplash. That's hard to watch, man. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Last restaurant you, you ate in? Um, just ate it at, at, at Christie's for lunch today. Right here. A Sunday brunch. Does that count? Absolutely. Last time you played? Do you count hitting on the wall? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I've been, we've had the June gloom, so we've had so much freaking rain. So, but Friday, and then before that, I had a lesson on Sunday. Yeah, but, we saw you out there. Uh, uh, um, but after that, so Friday hitting on the wall. Last match you played as a pro tennis player? Like yesterday. Like I'm going to forget it. 95, Miami. Uh, lost to Todd Woodbridge. Six and six. I had about 10 set points. I was so pissed at myself. Andre then goes on to win the tournament. Beats Pete in the final to become number one in, in the world. We then go to Asia. Andre's looking the job. BG, where are you? I said, dude, I pulled out. I'm not playing anymore. And he says, what do you mean you're not playing? I said, I just lost to Todd Woodbridge. 10 set points. I'm focused on you. I'm whinging with myself. I'm not putting in the work. So, and I never announced I retired. I just stopped playing. And went right to Andre. Well, I had been coaching him already for a year. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for a, not little, a little bit, bit. for a, a full legitimate, year. Yeah, a full you were, year. We, went, we had started at 94 Miami, and then 90, he went from, he was ranked below me when we started in 94, and when he won it in Miami 95, he became number one in the world. Last tournament you attended? 
Last tournament I attended. What do you mean? Like, uh, I work at tournaments all the time. Yeah, so what's the last tournament you were uh, at? The last tournament I was working at was Miami. No, it wasn't. The last tournament you attended was the um, the Red Clay in America, the Texas. Oh, Houston. Sorry. Yeah, that's right, right? H-Town. Am I right? You're 100% right. Now, um, the last tournament you broadcasted. Was Miami. Miami. I had a great six days at Houston, and so I go Miami, Houston, I got two solid Six months. days, you're a hit and giggle guy, though, right? You're no, just like... Oh, I do a bunch of stuff for the tournament there. I do some clinics. I, I do some stuff with the players there. Got it. It's actually a really fun week. I really look forward to it. Um, and, and then a couple of months off and, and, and really ramp up for, you know, Wimbledon through the open. Through the hard court. Now, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, frustrating. Because <laughs> he's just... He's really good. He's really good. He, he's unflappable. He's like one of those guys. For, the, for our listeners that may not know, Brad is a diehard Golden State Warriors fan, and they are on their way to be golfing in the event uh, that they can't turn it around against the Toronto Raptors, and Kawhi Leonard is the star of the Raptors. You, you know the, the, the greatness of, of Kawhi Leonard? Uh, a couple games ago, game three, you look at the score sheet, and he has the quietest 30 points you've ever seen. Last game... He, he's the first player in the history of the NBA Finals to score 35 points in a game and zero turnovers since Michael Jordan. But he doesn't do it like, you know, sometimes in massive bunches like a, a, a Steph can do or a Durant can do. He kind of just sprinkles them in and he doesn't do any trash talking. He doesn't do anything demonstrative. He's he a just, great player. And, and you know what he's else is, is, is phenomenal about him? He does it in slow motion. Yeah, but and yet, it's, you know, it's, it's stunning. He that gets to his stop. He it's gets stunning to his that Draymond. It's stunning that Draymond and no one can guard him. He's unbelievable. Moving into our fifth and final set, it's the king of the court. Um, you know, we've talked to you about cheating in junior tennis and in college tennis. We've talked to you about you know, a, a general, what would you change? And, you know, you talk about the scheduling and, and that, but where, what is your opinion of, you know, some of the technologies that aren't being utilized or are being utilized? Like, where are you at with technology and its role in the, in, in the sport as we move, we're moving forward into the back half of 2019 into 2020? Um, uh, um, you know, the Australian guy um, who, who does all the analytics. Yeah. Um, His name is O'Shaughnessy. Craig O'Shaughnessy. He's been in doing this for a long time. Um, tennis has been pretty slow. But uh, for our listeners, Craig O'Shaughnessy is like... A, the brain game. He is like a, a, the money ball guy at tennis, and he actually is a paid member of Team Djokovic, and he gives him patterns and plans. The Tennis Channel actually did a cool piece on him. Shout out to our friends over there because they did a great piece on Craig O'Shaughnessy. Continue. Um, and so it, it, it's used in, and obviously football, basketball, baseball. But I can tell you with a lot of a million stats, if I'm coaching somebody today, I will look at it, I will use it. But I still think that more important than anything is the human feel of the day-to-day. It's not about sometimes looking at the data of a thousand matches, 500 matches. Um, when I'm scouting somebody the day before, whether or not I'm talking to an Andre or a Roddick, whoever I'm coaching, Murray, uh, 
I'm watching a specific opponent because maybe there's something that I noticed in, in Jesus, he's swinging a little freer on the backhand down the line. He's serving wide. And obviously you have your trends that, okay, he serves wide under pressure, he serves middle. But also there's the human variable that sometimes that the analytics don't tell you because now you're playing an Andre, you're playing a Rafa. Guys tend to play bigger or do a little bolder things that maybe doesn't tell you. So sometimes you can be a prisoner to relying on the information and what happens if the information that you have comes up empty? Because he fears you a little more than what the analytics say. It's like, you know what? I'm crossing it up. I'm gonna serve down the middle today when it says I serve wide. What he's gonna do such and such. I'm coaching Andy Roddick, 2003 US Open. Round, he's already in the quarters. Shang Shalkin is playing Reiner Schuttler. Say that five times fast, everybody. Shang Shalkin is playing Reiner Schuttler in the round of 16 because they're, they're a day behind. They've had all this rain in the 2003 Open. I'm on the far side. Shalkin is up a set. He comes over to me, sitting in the stands. He goes, Coach, I mean, your guy's beaten me three times this summer. Agassi never lost to me. Why are you scouting me? I didn't want to tell him that, like, Roddick was panicked about... Reiner Schuttler had beaten him, had never lost to him. But even if- Reiner Schuttler had Andy's number. But no matter what, if I have the opportunity, when I'm coaching, I don't care what the analytics say, if I can sit there and watch it myself, I can learn more because I, first of all, I can remember everything and the nuances, what you can see, and then you, looking at the numbers, but I think, if you don't watch what's happened on the lead up and understand that the way your guy is playing, I sometimes, you know, the, the greatness and, and the undoing of analytics, Pete Sampras in the 99 Wimbledon was serving average for the tournament around 97 miles an hour on a second serve. But since Andre was playing amazing, you know what he said? Not doing that, he goes 115. Cranked it up higher, everyone talk about that. So, that's where sometimes I love analytics, but don't forget about the human factor. My man, um, that was outstanding. We can't thank you enough. Brad Gilbert, everybody. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for wheeling me in. You know, you know me. I, I'm not sure who's more amped up today, you or me. That was money in the bank. You are released. Malibu Racquet Club is the official tennis club of under review. If anyone wants to practice here or become a member, let us know and we will sort you out. Mega big thank you to Brad Gilbert. We appreciate you coming out swinging and leaving it all on the court. Thank you to everyone at the Malibu Racquet Club. Big thank you to Patreon supporter Chris Spanos. We hope you enjoy the Salinko bag as much as you enjoyed the Gimbal Stop episode. We promise there will be more bonus material up shortly. If you want to help support Under Review like Chris and get some great perks along the way, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Tell your friends. We can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. 
Under Review Tennis is our Instagram and Facebook. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Binnick did our mix. We will be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released. Released.